Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Clearance. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi oh! This next one's for you two. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to episode 176 of the NBA Podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and today we're going to continue with our division previews. We're going to tackle the Atlantic Division today. Before we get underway, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handle, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe download leave some five-star reviews we'd love any feedback and we're being hosted on the almighty baller podcast network so check them out on twitter at almighty casts joining me today as always is my very stable genius of a co-host morton jensen how's it going mort brian it's it's going well it had kind of an interesting day uh debuted on uh well a streaming service where i covered my first danish league game as a color analyst and it didn't go as planned, at least not the initial 25 minutes, where two minutes into the game, every, you know, the scoreboard, the scores table, everything just went offline, and you just <laughs> had to freestyle for 25 minutes. Good. That's, that's not how you want to do your debut, I want to say. Can't, I, uh, yeah. I didn't know you needed those things for basketball. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> Just well, the old peach hoop and then nothing else. Yeah, well, hopefully things go more smoothly next time around. Let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope so. Uh, we also have a special guest joining us today. We have Jared Weiss, who is the Celtics writer for The Athletic. How's it going, Jared? I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter, and feel free to plug any of your work. Uh, Jared Weiss NBA, and I work for The Athletic, so... Just go read my stuff on The Athletic. And we have a, I think we had a flash sale going on probably when this podcast drops, if it might have ended by now, but 50% off. So it's like two or three bucks a month for the entire Athletic Network where you can get all your Jimmy Butler breaking news and other stuff. <laughs> yeah. And you guys have now literally just taken over the NBA blogosphere. You now have everyone. So if you it's want pretty to read fun. anyone who is, who's not Zach Lowe, Go subscribe to The Athletic. I, I've been a subscriber for a while. It's well worth yeah. the two or three bucks, or even if it's not six bucks a month. You can support j- journalism, support NBA writers. Go subscribe. So because, Jared, because you're a Celtics guy, we're going to start with the Celtics. It's going to physically pain me to do so, but I'll tough it out. Uh, let's start with the, I mean, the, their big storyline, obviously, is yeah, Gordon Hayward. I agree. <laughs> yeah, and Yabu, of course. Yeah, uh, Gordon Hayward, you know, five minutes into last season, suffers that gruesome ankle injury and misses the rest of the year. Now he's back. He's healthy. Now they've got that starting five of Hayward, Tatum, Brown, uh, Horford, and Kyrie that we saw opening night last year against the Cavs. What do you expect to see out of Hayward this year? 
Well, they got a pretty good lineup to put around them. That's, I mean, it's if you're a guy that's coming back, like or a star that's coming back to a team, I don't think anyone's really had it as easy as he does because, like, the team already functions so well without him, and he's just, I think, that missing piece that makes the offense much more consistent and much more potent. So we saw in the first preseason game that he's going to kind of take a passive approach at first. He's going to sit back just kick the ball, keep advancing, keep the play moving, try to run some pick and roll. He's not in sync with the team yet, and that, that'll come over the course of the preseason and probably the first month of the season. He's still learning to really, really trust his ankle, which, you know, isn't quite all the way there yet. And then, of course, his stamina just isn't quite there yet. But, I mean, the skills that he's got in place are, I mean, he, obviously he was one of the, what, twenty best 20 to 25 players in the league coming into last season. And he still has that basketball IQ that makes him a special player. You know, I interviewed his trainer for a feature I wrote on The Athletic. That's why I'll seek my plug-in. That came out last uh, (laughs) the day before the – or the the day of the game. And one of the main interviews I did for it was his trainer, Jason Smathers. And Jason was saying to me that – He's an above-average athlete, above-average this and that. He's nothing. He's not spectacular at any one thing. He's just above-average in every regard, but then his basketball IQ is really special. And I think that's the thing that's going to really separate him and allow him to make an impact early on as the rest of his you know, components of his game are going from below-average to above-average. Is he just He thinks the game so well. He anticipates things on offense and on defense very well. I mean, he's been a really good help defender in the scrimmages in the first preseason game that we've seen so far. He's really good at, you know, at diving into passing lanes and snaking switches and being creative and stuff like that. So he finds his ways to contribute um, really pretty well. He's just not going to be shooting very well to start the season. He's not going to be scoring 15 points a game or anything like that. But, you know, people that are patient and can see the kind of slight progress, I think you're going to be pretty happy come two or three months from now when they see just how far he's come. Yeah, I feel like in general, he's been completely underrated because he missed last year, and like people just forget how good he was in that 2016-17 season in Utah. Like That season, he took a big step forward, not only offensively and is just like a really well-rounded player, but as you said, help defense he he's better than people realize i think uh just in general on defense so even if as you said even if he doesn't score like 20 25 points a night right away i feel like he's gonna get the same treatment that al horford does where like people get frustrated with him because he's not putting up huge numbers but his just like all around play is so good that he makes that team significantly better and you know it's like like Horford, his job isn't to score. I mean, his job is to make the offense flow. Um, you know, Jalen, Jason, and Kyrie; those are the guys that are going to get the majority of the scoring responsibility. Really, you know, for him, it's, for him, it's about being a playmaker and really sucking out the defense and keeping the defense honest and keeping those lanes open. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy that like he really kind of bides his time to take advantage and then he goes for it. You know, in Utah, he had a lot of offensive responsibility. 
He played a lot of iso ball, a lot of pick and roll with Gobert, where their offense kind of relied on him running pick and roll with Gobert to kind of get it going. Um, and they needed Gobert to crash a lane to kind of you know force the defense to collapse and open up space for them. But with the Celtics, they're much more five out. They're not, you know they want to get the ball touching the paint, but for them they're more of a perimeter side to side movement kind of team. So. Hayward doesn't have the responsibility to initiate the offense by getting the ball flowing in and out. And that, that means he's just not going to touch the ball as much. And he's probably it's going to be a spot-up shooter a lot of the time, or he's going to be a pick-and-roll playmaker a lot of the time. It's not going to be a lot of him trying to you know take guys out from an island or they're running you know place for him to attack from the mid-post. They're going to do a little bit of that, and they showed some of that in that first preseason game. But the usage is just going to be a lot lower than I think what people remember seeing from him in Utah. And naturally, a lot of the casual fans are going to are going to be like, why are we paying this guy $30 million <laughs> to do this? Right. But it's like, I mean, you're paying him $30 million, but also if he's a really good play, if you're a really good team, I mean, then you're not going to rely on your $30 million guy as much. And that's why you're better than all the other teams with max players who only win 45 games a season. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're paying him $30 million because you have Jalen and Jason on rookie deals, so you can do that. You have the luxury of not having to worry about salary cap stuff quite yet. Um, Mort, I want to shift over to those two young guys because you and I have seen a narrative kind of like bubbling. I think Bob Vulgaris on the Bill Simmons podcast we noticed uh, over the summer was talking about how, especially with Tatum, like he, you know, he he's just so well rounded already as a rookie and like so polished. And Brad Stevens is such a good coach. He's wondering if Tatum is like kind of brushing up against his ceiling already, even though he's so young and like you know, in theory, he would have a lot more development to unlock just based on the age. But you know, maybe Brad Stevens is like pushed him closer to his ceiling than a normal coach and a normal rookie would in year one. Do you buy into that at all? No. I mean, look, these guys are so young. Uh, obviously, there's loads of potential left. I mean, I get the polished argument, but that's just that's just an advantage he needs to take advantage of. I mean, look, being that young and being that gifted, both athletically and with a with a heavy basketball IQ and understanding spots, that's just that those are just tools to help you advance, move forward even further. I mean, look, I don't think we can put a limit on either of those guys. I Tatum specifically, but Jalen Brown. I mean, I, th- I feel Jalen Brown is the one forgotten guy, especially mm-hmm. over the course of the summer. Everyone is talking about Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum, who is absolutely fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but Jalen Brown, it's, it, he's right up there. I mean, those two guys aren't that far apart as people make it out to be, in, in my opinion at least. And th- they are oozing potential. So just because we have Tatum, who is a very polished player, that doesn't mean he's a finished product, not not by right. any stretch. I mean, statistically, obviously, there's loads of improvement there. I mean, what did he average in, in the regular season last year? Like 13, 14 points, something mm-hmm. along those yeah, lines? Somewhere around there. Yeah, right? I mean, just that fact alone, you look at that, I mean, there's room for him because he, as a scorer, like from a fundamental point of view, he's just that much solid. I mean, he can score out from outside. He can get to the rim. He can generate free throws. He can score from the post. He's got every trick in the book. Uh, I, I think those two guys are going to be absolutely insane. And I, I don't buy into all the, are are they tapped out? Are they maxed out? I mean, are they already done products? Like, they're what, 21 and 22? 
Uh, I think Tatum's 20, right? Tatum's still 20, yeah. yeah. Still 20. All right, yeah. further my point. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I, I don't buy into that at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like, you know, a lot of people made, like, the Carmelo Anthony comparison with Tatum. It feels like Tatum's floor is Carmelo Anthony. And that might sound sacrilegious based on, you know, it's like well, he played one year. But, like, I also, I believe in any Drew Hanlon client at this point, having just seen Markel Fultz look like a completely different basketball player in the Sixers' first preseason game. And I know it was against Melbourne United and whatever. But, you know, Tatum's worked with Hanlon a lot longer than Fultz has. Like, Tatum is going to be a top 10 player in the NBA at some point in his career. I it, That might be a hot take, but... Like, he is that good. He is that gifted. He will be the best player on the Celtics at some point in his career. Like, I just don't buy this argument of, well, he was already really polished. Like, great. That just gives him a much higher floor than most people have coming into the NBA. That's a very mild hot take. Bro. Yeah, I mean, didn't <laughs> didn't either SI or ESPN have him ranked as like twenty sixth in the NBA? So he's only twenty. Yeah. So to say that he's going to make the top ten, that's that's almost that's not even a take. That's like you're you're kind of <laughs> yeah. you're being a little of a wuss there on that take. A hot take would be he's a top five player. <laughs> top five. Which yeah, yeah I mean, that he, he could get there, me. but yeah, that's his peak. I mean, his peak is he has yeah. he has MVP potential. That's not a there's nothing crazy about saying that. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, all three of the rookies that dominated in the playoffs last year, yeah, all three of those guys clearly have MVP potential. Um, it's we're using the word potential. We're not guaranteeing they're going to get there. Um, so the the way I see that argument, um, which I, I wasn't even aware of until you guys uh, brought that up, so I appreciate you bringing that to my attention because it's nice to get some variety in the conversation. Where it seems like the variety in the conversation on Tatum ranges from. Is he better than Michael Jordan already? To when is he going to be better than Michael Jordan? So it's nice to have you know some more reasonable takes or even some that I disagree with as being too far south. So, I mean, I, I'm I would say I would probably put myself in the camp of probably second. There's I would say I'm on the second highest tier of optimism about Jason Tatum. I think he has. Yeah, I think he has top five player in the NBA potential. I think he'll be, I think he has Kevin Durant level potential. Um, but I think that's a ceiling, which I guess, obviously, I mean, Durant's what, maybe a top 15 player of all time. So that's, a, <laughs> yeah, it's, and that's like where, if that happens, that means that Tatum continues to grow to, he's like 6'10", 6'11", continues to become a knockdown shooter, gets more athletic, more physically dominant, um, you know, there's a lot of like, everything has to go right for that to happen. But what we are right. seeing is that for one, I, you know, I've done, I think I've written more about his background and his relationship with uh, Drew Hanlon than anybody else out there. And I've talked to Drew about him like f- probably like 15 times. Um, and I, I, t- I looked at the way that Tatum handled his relationship and his career uh, with Hanlon back to when he was 14 years old and the methodology was always really intense. His drive and his commitment was always really intense. And they have a they have a lot of really good philosophies about how to develop, how to add skill, how to perfect different parts of this game. And you know, Hanlon basically laid out a timeline over the course of his teenage years of how they added specific components to his game. And for him, it was always about instead of trying to become 
a you know complete player from day one it was about developing one move for over the course of a month where they just worked on it every single day for a week and then moved on to another one so that he had a very dynamic package while also making sure his shot was good while also making sure that he knew how to read uh, read offense not read books which i'm sure he can do fine but so <laughs> he over the like he he went from a really you know a solid point forward who was being typecast as a stretch four actually when he was really young his father told me and they wanted him to be able to bring the ball up more and play point more uh, when he was in high school and he just kind of kept developing those skills and adding on those skills to the to the point that by the time he got to Duke he could do almost everything that we can see him do out there now it just it was you know a matter of being more consistent obviously you know the physicality just you know the difference between playing high school and EYBL versus playing the NBA is, you know, it's not even, you know, it's almost a different sport. So mm-hmm. he had to go through that transition, but we saw him over the course of last season, both his comfort level and his skill set evolve over the course of the year. I mean, this is the stuff that he, he was able to basically completely adapt to the NBA and I would say make what is usually the jump from year one to year three, he was able to do that over the course of about four or five months, which was pretty remarkable. And most people will look at that as a kind of like a fluke or whatever, or it's great coaching. Obviously it's all those things combined, but the biggest part of it is just the way that Tatum approaches the game, the way that he works on himself throughout the season and his ability is incredible comprehension ability to learn and the confidence that he plays with where he's both, He's both confident in himself and he's confident in the people that he surrounded himself with telling him what to do when he trusts them. So I I don't think that he's brushing up against the ceiling necessarily. I think another way to say say that semantically is that he was so good in the playoffs in his rookie year that he was already playing at a borderline all-star level in the playoffs that, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. he is closer to the top already because he's already so good, but... He was doing that as a 19 to 20 year old who was who was literally raising a newborn baby also who was dealing with all of the ramifications of having a young child. I mean, he was he went through, you know, like the, an entire rookie contracts worth of events over the course of one year. Right. It was incredible. Right. Um, and I, I'd never quite seen anything like it before. You know, and Jalen Brown looks amazing, but Jalen wasn't that good as rookie year. There was a few things he did really mm. well, but he wasn't a complete two way player the way that he is now and the way that Tatum became towards the end of the season. I mean, Tatum was a Tatum's also a pretty solid defender. I mean, he's got a lot of work to do, but he's a pretty good defender and is going to probably turn into a very good defender, actually. Um, so. I mean, you know, T- Tatum's Tatum's potential is predicated on how much is he is his mentality going to stay the same? Is he going to continue to work the way he's been doing? Which I don't see any reason to believe why it's going to change. He's a very humble, very smart, and very you know, very dedicated person. Um, and then it's how much can he improve his physicality? Can he continue to put on weight, which he has done? He put on ten pounds this off season, which is exactly what he wanted to do, and he worked. Um, you know, the entire summer, he worked with Hanlon in L.A. on just getting his base lower and being able to mm-hmm. really dominate at the point of attack. And he's going to probably, I would say by the time we get to December or so, he's going to start trying to bulldoze through guys and really you know use his body to 
really impact defenders. And that's the thing that he didn't really do last year. He had good footwork and technique that he could sometimes march, you know, he can sometimes kind of get on a guy's hips and kind of push him out of the way and stuff like that. But he wants to start kind of bulldozing through guys and being a real power force the way that Duran and Paul George are able to do. And, you know, once he does that, that's what takes him from being a 14-point scorer to a 20-point scorer. And, you know, just adding those components to his game, that improves him by, like, 30%. And he's got so many different areas where he still needs to grow like that. He still isn't that good of a distributor, and he has a, he's got, like, some decent passing ability. He's got pretty good vision. So, I mean, you know, there's a whole component to his game there that hasn't really been unlocked yet. And he, he doesn't run a lot of pick and roll yet. There's a lot to unlock there. So... I don't. I see him having just as much room to grow as any other player coming out of the rookie season, which is why I think his top, you know, his his um, potential tops out at the very top of the league. Because, I mean, he he's shown that not only is he a complete player, but his work ethic and the way that he goes about developing himself is also at an elite level. And that's how those guys get to that mm-hmm. level. Yeah, I, I think the work ethic point is especially notable here because as you said like you can get to a certain point based on your natural talent but then if you aren't going to push yourself forward that you're going to just stagnate at that level and i get um, nothing about tatum the way he developed throughout last year and the way you know if he's working with hamlin i know he makes all those guys bust their ass like he's he's only going to get better which is just I think it's just hard to conceptualize a 19-year-old being that good right from the get-go and then, like, having that much room to grow still. But he totally does. And that that leads me, before we move on to Boston, that's kind of the overarching question for their season is, you know, they've got this they're starting five with really five all-star caliber players. You have the BWA, the bench with... You know, Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart and Terry Rogier and Aaron Baines, who's going to hit fucking 17 corner threes against the Sixers again. They have one of the deepest teams in the NBA. They also have some questions beyond this year. Kyrie is going to be a free agent. Rogier is going to be a free agent. So, Jared, do you think it's kind of finals or bust for the Celtics this year? Oh, absolutely. No, there's no there's no question about that. They they were they generally felt like they failed when they didn't make the finals last year. Um mm. because they got so close. I mean they were right there at the precipice and they and they blew it. Um yeah, LeBron beat them obviously, but they also missed like three wide open jumpers at the end of the game that you know, if they hit any one of those they had a very good chance of winning it. So they feel like they blew it last year. They feel like they're significantly more talented this year, and they should be making the finals. So I think for them, I mean, they're not—they're never going to say we're going to win the title or we feel like we should win the title. But I think they legitimately should have their goal as beating the Warriors or whoever makes it—you know, the uh, Utah Jazz or Sacramento Kings, whoever makes the NBA Finals. <laughs> and so um, they, they legitimately feel like they should win it, and I agree with that. I don't think—I still think the Warriors are clearly the favorite, but I think that mm-hmm. they are close enough that they have a good shot at it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think they're one of the— I think there are probably two or three teams in the NBA that has a chance against the Warriors— they're one of them, and we're about to talk about another one, the Toronto Raptors. 
Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Obviously, they have some big storylines coming in the season. A big offseason of change for them. More, let's start with Kawhi Leonard, who you picked as your MVP coming into last year. You, of course, <laughs> did not know he was out. going to. Yeah, you didn't know he was going to miss all, all but nine games and like, burn every bridge with his former team. But, you know... That that goes. I should to have say, seen it, Brian. Yeah, right. I guess so. But it, like the point is, he's that type of player where you know the prior season he really took a big step forward. Tim Duncan retired. It was like the first time he really asserted himself as the number one option on offense. If healthy, he is that type of player. How do you see him fitting in with this Raptors team? Uh, seamlessly. And by the way, uh, just to piggyback off you know what Jared said earlier about Jason Tatum. Is Kawhi not like the perfect example of what Jason can become when you really mm. think about it? I would say Jalen is probably the better comp there because um, his playing style is more similar. Oh, yeah, because of defense? Yeah, because yeah. in um, the way that he moves, the way he handles the ball, I think it's a lot more similar to Kawhi's kind of, you know, uh, kind of bouncy, low and wide style. So I think that they're a little bit more similar. But yeah, I mean, that. I, I think Tatum could maybe be maybe a little bit more potent of a perimeter scorer than Kawhi is, although I guess that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever said in my life since he, what, shot 45% last time he was healthy. So, I don't know. Ka- <laughs> Kawhi strikes me as a great but not unstoppable offensive force the way that the, like, you know, the top five other MVP guys are. He's just a great offensive player right. and then is maybe the best defender of, uh, of the last 30 years. Um, and then... Tatum to me, it feels like he's more he's more slanted towards being an unstoppable offensive force who will also be a good defender who can have some versatility and can have some lineup flexibility. Jalen's a guy that so I think offensive minded. Yeah, Kawhi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Jalen is the person who's a lot more similar to Kawhi and has a lot of that potential, but obviously the threshold for getting to that level is pretty extreme. Yeah. Oh, nice. So Boston has a an offensive minded Kawhi and a normal Kawhi. Yeah. That's Great. Great. That's not bad. They're, they're in pretty good shape. Throwing to Gordon Hayward. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so to answer your question, Brian, yeah, obviously I think Kawhi's going to fit in seamlessly. He, he can, you know, as we just talked about, he can hit the three. He, he can begun, you know, began playing the pick and roll a lot more uh, the year before his injury. I'm just going to ignore last year in terms of, mm-hmm. of his injury. Like, let's go back to, to 2016, 2017 when, when he was at the top of his game. You know, he got to the line like 7.2 times a game. Like, he was really asserting himself, and he was still being this fantastic defender. You know, obviously, he it took a hit once in a while because he had to carry more of a load. Right. But, you know, in Toronto, he's going to have a bench. He's going to have a lot of spot-up shooters around him. He's going to have this offensive dynamo that he can pull on and lean on a little bit. And, you know, let's not forget about Kyle Lowry here, how much he's going to help Kawhi in that sense. Like, Lowry is just... He's in another world when it comes to shooting the basketball, especially spotting up and even, you know, <laughs> creating his own threes. Like, he can do all of that. 
So the defense isn't solely going to be keyed in on Kawhi. They also have to look out for Lowry. They have to look out for... Even Valanciunas can now step out and hit the three. You have Ibaka. Like, they can play legitimate five-out basketball. Kawhi is just going to feast on that. Yeah. I'm I'm very optimistic about him. I, I think we're going to see a lot of mid-post touches for him this year. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. I, I was going to channel you for a second because you made me think you were talking about Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry's the best point guard he's ever played with, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is me shitting on Tony Parker. That's me channeling you. Yeah. It's, I mean, look, <laughs> I love Tony. Right. But even even when Kawhi was a rookie, Tony was pretty old. Right. I mean, I think it's fair to say that. I mean, right now, Kyle is just on another plane. I mean, it's just he's, he's insane. His raw numbers weren't that good last year. Mm-hmm. But his 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 advanced metrics were just off the charts. And was it uh, Jacob Goldberg, I think, from uh, the, yeah the Nylon Calculus, who did a comparison between Lowry and John Wall, and Lowry oh. just yeah blew Wall out of the water in basically every statistical category. Like it was pretty insane. Yeah, I I, I really love this addition of of Kawhi too. To the Raptors, you know, I'm gonna refrain from going into my hole. But if they get Jimmy Butler yeah, in, yeah, 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 we, we've been but there. <laughs> we've been there. I know, but we'll, we'll God, see. yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye. Nothing has happened at at least as of now on the Jimmy Butler front, and it seems like Toronto is not really. It seems like Houston and Miami are more in the mix there. Um, so the other big story with Toronto, aside from Kawhi, is they also. Got rid of Dwayne Casey. He then won Coach of the Year. They promote Nick Nurse as their head coach instead. I just wrote a big thing on Fansided kind of about what to expect from Nick Nurse. Um, but, Jared, what do you think? I, like, I, I, The phrasing of this is going to come off poorly, and for that I apologize to Dwayne Casey. But <laughs> do you think this could be like a Mark Jackson-Steve Kerr situation where Dwayne Casey – got the Raptors as far as he could and now Nick Nurse takes over and he's going to be their Steve Kerr he can push them further than they got before and you could even make that analogy that like Casey tried to toughen them up and teach them (laughs) defense and help evolve them into you know into real competitors and then (laughs) now they bring in someone with actual like offensive mastermind capability to get it done um you know they, this I think this team's only issue has really been just the the massive fall off in the playoffs. I mean, mm-hmm. a fifty nine win team is so little to criticize, and a big reason why they got to fifty nine wins and like why I like I hate to keep bringing it back to the Celtics, but like why the Celtics will probably get around sixty wins this year is because the depth is just so good that you have that ten man rotation that's just really good top to bottom, and in, and then even when you have injuries your 11, 12 guys can come in and they can fill in very comfortably. And Toronto's got, what, 12 to 13, like, solid rotation players. So that's just not an issue for them. Um, But then when you get to the playoffs, it's like you need eight great players to actually advance. And you need your top guys to perform consistently. And, I mean, Kyle's, Kyle's just been so hit or miss. Like, he looks... He looks like you know an a MVP caliber player for two games every single series, and then is basically like staring <laughs> yeah. in disbelief at the rest of his team. Otherwise, while Demar is out there missing twenty three footers, so or twenty two footers, so 
you know, they don't, they have a totally different dynamic. Kawhi, if there's one thing he's proven over the years is that he is a historically elite uh, player in the playoffs. He is someone who is great throughout the year and then takes it to another level where he becomes more assertive on offense, plays with bloodlust on defense. I mean, he is, I mean, the upgrade from, uh, from DeMar to a healthy Kawhi is pretty gigantic. And it's what, and it's what makes, I, you know, the, I still think the Celtics are the favorite, but it's what tightens that gap pretty significantly because Toronto is just so, they were so good last year. And I think Kawhi, is a significantly better player than DeMar is. So if Kyle sees Kawhi really dominating the playoffs, that's going to make him play even better. It's going to make him trust his teammates more. It's going to make their, it's going to prevent them from their whole system falling apart. Like it seems to every single year. Now we know that last year in the Cleveland series, they were a missed tip away from that thing being completely different. Just like how Cleveland was a J.R. Smith rebound away from that series being completely different. Who knows? So, you know, one play always changes the entire fate of a franchise most of the time. But I'm looking at if Nurse can create a system that these guys really believe in, where they can have, frankly, a system that's less reliant on Lowry going into isolation and Lowry drawing fouls or them dumping it to Valanchunas. They can find a way to bring the most out of Valanchunas, which is obviously probably been their most underutilized asset that they've had on the team this entire time. Um, you know, that, that they can create the, that environment where the players really do believe in the system and it's not about getting motivated over and over and over again. So I, I that seemed to me as a, from an outsider to be the issue under Casey, um, among other things. Also, I just, I thought their offense was stale a lot of the time. Uh, and mm-hmm. you know, no matter what the system may be, having Kawhi healthy and playing at his best is really just what fixes 90% of their problems. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. There is going to be a clear talent upgrade too, so it's going to be hard to assign complete credit to Casey if he does push them further than they've gone. The things that stood out to me when I was doing this research for the piece on on Nick Nurse is one, he spent some years in the D-League, and especially with the Houston, with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, whatever they're called. Those teams always led the league in three-pointers and pace, which I think is going to be a welcome addition to a Toronto team where, you know, last year it seems like Nick Nurse took over the offense. He's been widely credited for improving that. Um, and they began actually shooting more threes. Even some of the bigs started taking threes that they weren't doing before, including Valanchunas, who, <laughs> Jared, you're preaching to the choir on Valanchunas being underused. Mort and I, like, throughout, since we've been doing this podcast, are like, why don't they give this guy actual minutes? It doesn't make any sense. Um, but I, I think having Nurse in charge of that is going to mean more threes, more emotion, more passing which is all good all moving into the 21st century modern day as you said less iso kyle uh the other thing is you know a lot of his quotes even dating back to the summer but then training camp too he's just talking about like experimentation how the how training camp and how the early part of the season he's just going to be like tinkering and trying out new things to figure out what works like he knows he's coming into a new situation and he doesn't have all the answers and for him to just be so open about that and say, like, you know, look, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know everything about 
how this team is going to function. We're going to try new things, see which lineups work best. I think having that mindset is really valuable for a first-time head coach. Um, I think, as you said, Jared, it's probably going to help with the motivation of this team. Like now, they know, you know, it, Jonas Valanciunas is going to go into the season knowing, like, all right, I'm not guaranteed to only play 25 minutes a night. Like, if I can mesh well with these certain players, Nick Nurse is going to play me more, and he's going to put me with these these groupings more. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this Toronto team meshes, but. Jared, you hinted at the question. You know, I, I agree that Boston is the favorite in the conference. Do you think Toronto is the biggest threat to them? And do you think Toronto is also a threat to the Warriors if they met in the finals? Absolutely, I'm both. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and just to go back to where we were in the middle of that conversation there about experimentation, what I think, what I like about the approach that Nurse is taking is that. He's looking at the way that this team has been for the last few years, and he's recognizing that they have been so good in the regular season for so long, and then such duds in the playoffs that the regular, you know, getting a hot start, getting to fifty-five to sixty wins, it just isn't important. The seeding just doesn't really matter. It, you're doing, you're literally doing all that for home court advantage in certain rounds of the playoffs. It's like who gives a shit at that point? It's like it, it's all about it is all about tinkering to figure out which lineup combinations work, which schemes defensively and offensively really work, trying to give, you know, giving them a chance to fail and then build up and see if, if they keep at some sort of, you know, some sort of adjustment, some sort of different combination, you know, seeing that if they continue to stick with it, if it can, if it can produce dividends, even if it means that they might drop more games than they want to, because if you do that, then you have, then you identify something that's really special and explosive in the playoffs. And you know what? The Celtics did that a lot last year and it worked because they lost Kyrie. I mean, you know, they, they spent the whole season without Hayward. So, you know, they had the whole year to adjust, but they lost Kyrie mid season, figured something out that really worked between Terry Rozier working off of their starters and also Marcus Morris. And then they got to the playoffs and their offense was a lot better in the playoffs than it was in a lot of the regular season because they finally kind of, they took a lot of time to tinker around. They lost a bunch of games in the process, but they figured out those combinations and they figured out the defensive combinations that worked as well. Um, you know, they really gave semi a, ch- a chance to develop and he really came through for them defensively in the playoffs last year. Um, so Toronto needs to do that. They need to figure out, um, you know, they need to, f- like, I mean, they have to figure out who's the shooting guard that they really utilize. Are they going to stay with DeLon Wright? Are they going to, um, are they going to go to Danny Green? They have to figure out how much Danny Green is going to bring to the table. Cause while he's still a good player, he, uh, he's, he seems to be falling off pretty fast as he, you know, ages more. Um, but you know, the big thing is that, they can switch really well now on defense. And I think that's Mm -hmm. probably one of the big game changers for them is that replacing DeRozan with Kawhi, one, it allows them to run lineups where Kawhi's at the four. And even if they want to go super small, they can even run them at the five, which a few teams are starting to experiment with that. I'm sure Boston and uh, Washington are going to do that a lot this year too. Um, But so Kawhi allows them so many different defensive combinations. They don't need to rely on having one or both of Valanciunas or Ibaka out there. They can just run a lot of these really small lineups and they can put out five defenders that can switch 
three to four positions, I think Kyle Lowry can still guard one through three, or at least one through two pretty well. I think he can guard a lot of threes out there too. So that gives them just so much more defensive uh, dynamic capability that they just didn't have before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before they got Kawhi, I thought Boston was number one, like on a tier of their own, and then Toronto and Philly and maybe a few others. Probably Toronto and Philly were on their own tier, and then a few others right behind them. But yeah, I think it's Boston and Toronto now are both top tier above all else. And then like Philly falls back into the mix with the Indiana, Milwaukee, Washington, depending how you feel about them. I would put them on their own tier between those two. Um, so I think they're, I think they're closer to uh, Boston and, and Toronto because both of just the extreme talent that they have in Simmons and Embiid. I mean, Simmons and Embiid are better than any other player in the conference below those top three teams except for Giannis, right? I guess you you could make a compelling argument that Oladipo is better than those guys, but I'm trying to think of anyone else that's as good as those guys. So you have that. John Wall, if you like, if you I'm, don't think last year was a fluke. I'm not a big John Wall guy anymore. I mean, and I and yeah. I covered the series against the Celtics two years ago where he had that game-winning three, and that was one of the most fun games I've ever been to in my life. And he was he was an animal in that series, but I have a lot of issues with him from, I think he's a, he's been a pretty bad leader, frankly. Um, right. he's, I mean, he's the problem in Washington. It hasn't been all the other things. It's obviously he's a problem, and I hope they get to trade him. Um, but so, for their, for their sake, um, and for his sake. But so... The um, you know, the Sixers they have those guys. Fultz came back in that first game and just reminded everybody how incredible a skill set is, even if he's not, you know, coming around uh, pick and rolls and pulling up from three like he used to be able to do. But he's he's going to be impactful this year. And then the rest of the team is pretty well balanced. Although it looks like Wilson Chandler's career is again starting to fall apart. He has an, a hamstring injury in the first game. That's really disappointing. Yeah. Hopefully he'll be healthy one day. But Philly, I think they're definitely at a on a different tier than the rest of the East. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Old moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Well, let's use that opportunity to seg into the Sixers, who, you know, as you said, there's an argument to be made, at least, that the the Atlantic Division has the three best teams in the Eastern Conference. Like, it, it would be a surprise if whoever represents the East in the finals does not come from this division, whether it's mm. Toronto, Boston, or Philly. Or the or, Nets. Let's go to... <laughs> or the Nets, that's true. The Knicks, Kristaps is going to come back. Uh, more, let's go into Fultz first, because he's, you know, the big storyline for this team this year is they went star hunting they struck out so then they said plan b is we need to internally improve you know we we got a better bench but you know we need markel fultz to kind of be take that step forward at least be productive like after this weird rookie season where he misses 68 games refuses to take a jump shot he works with drew hanlon all summer he comes into the season confident we saw him in preseason last night. He's still, you know, it still seems like he's a little hesitant to take threes at least. I mean, he didn't take one in that first game, but he did start, you know, we saw a little bit of the, the like, hezzy 
fadeaway Jimbo or whatever the hell KD called it. Uh, and he hit one, he missed another, but he's at least looking to take that shot. What do right. you expect from Fultz this season? Like, what do you think are fair expectations for him? Well, fair expectation is just like seeing him improve on a month-to-month basis in terms of his confidence and his shot selection and him experimenting with his own game. He's so young, remember? I mean, look, he came off of Washington, and everyone was like, oh, he's he's so solid, he's already going to like, be, become like a 15, 17-point score right off the, the bat in his rookie season. Then all went to hell with the shoulder, and like we still don't really fully know what happened. Right. So, I I mean, and now it seems like there's... There's sort of the, the you know, you, you now the backlash is is kind of in his head a little bit, and he's trying to come back from that. So I, I understand why he's going to take, like, a slow approach. I don't expect him to just come off the gates rolling and say, oh, I'm going to knock down 150 triples this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, him being selective with his shot is just, he, he's so young. Obviously, he has to, like, get comfortable first. He has to understand, you know what? Fans can say whatever the hell they want. I'm, I still have to find my game, and I have to do it at my own pace. I have to do it in my own time frame. And if that means that he's going to start out slow in October, you know what? So be it. I mean, as long as we see month-to-month improvements, that's all I'm looking for. As long as we end up this year seeing a Markel Fulls who's at the very least less hesitant about taking jump shots, who will take a wide-open three, who visually improves his confidence from a week-to-week and month-to-month basis so we can see what he might end up becoming in time. That's what all that I'm looking for. I'm not going down the whole, oh, is he the third star route? Mm-hmm. Because that's just, no, that's not relevant right now. We, we have to give this kid some time to come back from whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of confidence, he looks like a completely different player last year to this year. I mean, Oh, yeah based on reports from training camp, based on how he looked in that first preseason game, he looks confident again. Like, it, whatever Drew Hanlon did, like, Drew has said that the shot is not perfect yet. Markel has said the shot is not perfect yet. As you said, I don't think he's going to come in and hit 150, 200 threes this year. I don't think he's going to be an all-star this year. But, like, the, <laughs> the floor last season was, can this guy play in the NBA? Like, as long as he proves that he could be a solid rotation starter. Yeah, let's focus on the third star thing, you know, a year or two down the road because yeah. the Sixers also have a bunch of cap space next summer. Like, the star hunting thing, we can push that aside for the time being. Like, we, right now it's just all about improvement, not only for him, but for the other two big guys as well with Simmons and Embiid. So, Jared, I want to ask you about Simmons because your Celtics are the ones who – really i mean exposed him in the playoffs last year (laughs) like you know he he refused to take jumpers all year and he hit like a minor valley i think in like late december early january but then bounced right back and like after the all-star break just went on a rampage so it didn't really affect him all that much for most of the year then he comes and plays the celtics and you know he has that one point game i think it was game two just look look completely out of sorts He's come out and said, you know, he worked on his jumper this summer, but he's like, I'm not going to hit three-pointers this year. Like, that's not my game. How much do you think that's going to affect him in the regular season and then in the playoffs? You know, we we were just talking about Boston can switch all over. Toronto can switch all over. He's going against teams with 
a bunch of different options that can shut him down if he's not taking those jumpers. So do you think, you know, he's going to have another dominant regular season, but then come playoff time, teams are going to be able to exploit him? Or do you think he's going to have counters ready based on that Boston series from last year? You can only have so many counters if you can't shoot outside of 10 feet. You're not, that's, that's a problem. You know, um, the Celtics were well prepared for Simmons because one, they're just a good scouting team. And two, they had just beaten uh, Giannis the series before. And yet game planning for Giannis is really similar to game planning for Simmons. They're very, they're the distribution of their skills is very similar, right? You know, they're dominant players below the free throw line and, Giannis's game has come a long way in that he can hit 15-footers. He can pull you out a little. You know, you can't just stack the deck on him at the free-throw line and then expect him to just, you know, wilt away and pick up his dribble. I mean, he can do stuff. And he showed his evolution in that first series there where he was able to, uh, you know, work out of the mid-post and hit turnaround 18-footers. You know, a few things, even if he can't take a three-pointer yet. Simmons couldn't do any of it. And... Mm -hmm. If Ben is going to go from being a – he was he should have made the All-Star team last year probably, and he definitely – I don't think there's any question he will this year. Um, but for him to be to go from being a good All-Star player to being an MVP caliber player, which he is – um, or not is yet, but clearly will be pretty soon, honestly, in every other aspect of his game. But if he can't hit a 15-foot jumper – if he can't take, if he can't work a guy in the mid post and and you know do a turnaround from twelve to fifteen feet, I don't think he's going to ever ascend past a borderline all star starter. You know, being you know being a top fifteen player probably, he's never going to reach that next echelon. It's important if they if they're going to be a, a title winning team, it's going to beat the Warriors or beat the Celtics. It probably looks like, and then the Lakers once they get Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard. So. <laughs> You know, it's going to be, and that's only half a joke, obviously. Um, right. <laughs> and, and the Sixers can compete with all those teams if their development goes as well as they want it to. And I just don't think it's ever going to happen if Ben doesn't become, if he isn't able to pull teams literally just out of the paint so that mm -hmm. he can he can both have spacing for him to attack and for his teammates, like, for instance, the maybe the best big man in the NBA, to also uh, attack or could be the best big man in the league. Um, you know, the, it's his his inability to shoot outside of 10 feet, not the three-point line, but 10 feet, is going to forever hold back the Sixers, and it's on him to improve that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he occasionally, like, he, he hit a few mid-range jumpers last year. Like, he has a little floater at the free-throw line that, like, occasionally goes in. And part of me wonders if, like, he can do it. He just knows it's not the most efficient shot, and he's, like, such a freaking amazing passer that he's always trying to be like, all right, well, we've got, you know, I could take a 12-footer or a 15-footer, and then there's a 35% chance it goes in, or I can try to find J.J. Redick, who's a 40-plus percent shooter from three. Like, I'm wondering if he's doing those calculations in his head, kind of, and he's, like, trying to just figure out the most efficient shot but then you're right like sometimes you just need to take a, t a couple of tough jumpers just to like have that threat and like have the gravity pulled out from under the rim so Joel Embiid's not getting double teamed because more you got Joel Embiid now he was an all-star last year this is his first healthy summer 
he said he's already eyeing the MVP this year. He's like, that's just the level I need to play at for the Sixers to get where we want to go. Do you think he can get there this year? Uh, well, I mean, look, his game is already very influential, especially defensively. I think he will need to up the efficiency factor quite a bit. His shot selection can be just abysmal once in a while, <laughs> yeah. which which is just not MVP caliber yet. But if if he comes in this year and you know the the threes aren't just being weird pull ups with a defender in his face and he's not doing like you know three weird step back long twos, which you know you on occasion see, and he goes to it a little bit more analytically driven, sure, why not? I mean. The game is there. He's the age is there as well. I mean, he's not. It's not like he's a twenty-year-old rookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be his first active season and his his fifth overall in that sense since he was drafted. So, I mean, he's in the conversation of the candidates. I don't think he'll get it. I still have my money. Uh, what I feel is safely, you know, laid away on Giannis. So, mm-hmm. uh, but but I mean, as a candidate, sure, it's possible. But he will need to make some drastic improvements offensively. Defensively, I think he's there to you know he's going to be a defensive player of the year candidate, if not the leading one this year. I, that wouldn't shock me at all. He just needs to understand what a good shot is first. Yeah, and cut down on turnovers significantly. Both of which. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, but he he said that was a focus of his this summer. Uh, and I also saw a quote from him the other day where he said he's gonna try to take fewer threes and just like. He just wants to annihilate everyone in the post, basically. Like, that's his dream. It's just, like, he's worked... He, I mean, he really does... You know, he's, like, 7'2 and just, like, a brick of muscle. So I feel like his footwork doesn't get the credit it sometimes deserves. But he has some really good post moves. Like, it's, it's very hard to stop him in the post unless you double him. In which case, hopefully, he'll improve as a passer and not turn the ball over so much and... That will hopefully unlock some things in the offense. Um, you know, I think a thing that also kind of slipped under the radar is that, like, especially at the end of last year when he broke his face and missed a couple weeks, his conditioning was crap. Like, he was completely gassed in the playoffs. This year, again, it's his first healthy summer. I get the impression he has, he's in better shape right now than he possibly was all of last year, which I think will help him uh, just, you know... I'm with you, Mort. I don't think he wins the MVP this year. It, I think for him, the realistic goal should be like, play at the caliber where I finish within the top five. I don't know if he can do that, but you know, I think that's right. a successful season for him. Is like, or at least top ten, but you know, shoot for the stars, yeah. go for top five. Um, I, I will say, I don't think he should. I, I don't think he should stop taking threes. I just think he needs to take threes within the offense. Like right. last year, you just saw him. You know, running down at this trailer and just spotting up and, and not really pay attention to the shot and not really seek out the good ones. Like yeah. he would just, he would just jack them, and that's just not the approach that you're going for. I think a lot of that comes back to conditioning. Like I think he was out of shape a lot of the time, and he was just like, "I'm tired." And I so, don't so wanna... let me jack a three. Yeah, like I don't want to go yeah. in the post and bang for twenty seconds. I'm just gonna take a shot and hopefully get pulled from the game so I can get a breather. Yeah, that that's that's not MVPs, but that right. look that's concerning to me as, as well on a different factor because if he's not going to be shooting threes, and Ben Simmons is not going to be shooting threes, no, he's, like that's going to be he's still going to shoot them. He's just going to cut down on them. I think. 
poor JJ Reddick with the responsibility yeah. that he's going to have this season. Then, yeah, I know. And now yeah. he's coming off the bench, maybe, or at least yeah. he, he did in the yeah. first preseason game. Uh, Jared, we you know <laughs> we've talked about Boston Toronto's chances at the finals. How about Philly? Do you think they have a realistic shot at the finals this year, or what do you think? They're you know th- Brett Brown has come out and said like that's our goal. Our goal is the finals. We felt like we. You know, much like the Celtics feel like they blew it against the Cavs, the Sixers feel like they blew it against the Celtics last year just because they were so banged up. Uh, do you think they have a chance to beat either Boston or Toronto, or do you think you know, second-round competitive series is a good outcome for them this year? Uh, I think, yeah. I think having a seven-game series in the second round would be the sign of progress that you want to see from them to feel confident that they're heading in the right direction. But I I would genuinely, if I'm in their shoes, I'd be more optimistic because I'm saying that based on the fact that I just don't think that Fultz and Simmons are, are probably going to get to where they need to be for them to knock off a team as comprehensively sound as Celtics are and then a team as potentially dominant as Toronto is. So I think from their perspective they should be telling themselves that they should be setting getting to the finals as their goal. But I don't have to be as optimistic about Ben and Markel taking those next steps as they do. I really hope that they do. I'm a big Markel fan. Um, I mean, his game is just so perfect for the modern NBA. So I really want to see him succeed. And then Simmons, it's funny because people in Boston make fun of Simmons so relentlessly. They make fun of, mm-hmm. they make fun of Markel Fultz, who they call potato Harden, which is one of the greatest nicknames I've ever seen in my life. Oh, God um, <laughs> and it's funny because, like, it doesn't make sense, but then when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. But so, yeah. um, and then, you know, the whole shoot-a-three-you-coward thing with uh, Simmons is just such a, right. it's just one of the most brilliant trash-talking things I've ever seen in my life. It's so funny. I think Simmons thinks it's pretty funny, too, from what I've heard. So, um, you know, it's really fun to watch them prove the, haters wrong it, there's nothing more fun mm. than saying the haters is, are going to say it's fake and then seeing it actually happen and you know that i think is what makes the nba the most compelling is when players can turn around their reputations and then all the and then everybody doesn't notice it until all of a sudden it's kind of there front and center um and then philly is just such an entertaining team from the combination of personalities that they have from you know Embiid is one of the most remarkable personalities in the league so is brett brown mm. Simmons is like a wet blanket, and Fultz hasn't really talked <laughs> right. at all yet. But you know, and JJ Reddick's a super interesting guy too. So there's there's a lot of interesting stuff there, and they have I think they have a competitive streak within them that can make them really dangerous. These guys, mm-hmm. I mean, Joel just lo- he feeds off of the trash talk. He feeds off of failure. I think it's part of what makes him special. He has a lot of shack in him, both good and bad, in that. One that he's also a comparable player to Shaq in a lot of ways, but that he he takes things too loosely and doesn't. And I think that's where you see the turnovers, where you see sometimes while his footwork's incredible, it can get very sloppy at times. He keeps the center mm-hmm. of gravity too high, which is an issue for him. Takes some bad shots. I think you see a lot of that there in his kind of lazy, or is kind of like relaxed, you know, happy-go-lucky attitude. But it also allows him to fail and it allows him to kind of get embarrassed and just use that to fuel him to play harder. And I hope that the rest mm-hmm. of the team really, really internalizes that and really bounces off of that. Cause that, 
that gives you the opportunity to really propel your team further than where you think it can go. Yeah, I saw some quotes coming out of Media Day from Covington especially where he said like that Boston series just provided fuel for all of them this summer and like I think it it's going to be good for them that they failed like that in a series they felt they should have won because it you know it exposed some really troubling weaknesses for each player like you know Simmons take take a coward jumper you coward Covington couldn't create off the dribble at all. They didn't have that secondary creator. You know, like TJ McConnell was that guy, but that should have been Fultz. Reddick, like, just like... Well, he is the GOAT. Could... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Reddick couldn't... You know, they, they played smothering defense on him. Like, I think all those guys are going to use that as motivation coming into this season. So, I mean, if nothing else, I think it's going to be super entertaining. Like, the Boston-Philly rivalry... That you know that was so strong in the '80s is going to be back in spades not only this year but the next five. Also helps that you know the the Super Bowl between the two teams this past year certainly didn't <laughs> help matters between the two fan bases. So every time you hear "Take a Jumper, You Coward," you're just going to hear Big Dick Nick chanted in the background right after. It's going to be it's going to be a fun season. Yo, Brian, I was just thinking um, regarding Embiid, right? Uh-huh. The the goal really shouldn't be the MVP here. Like the goal should be getting the date re- with Rihanna because when that happens, <laughs> like we know he's arrived. Like then he was supposed to happen. Nah, he, when he became an all star. Like I know he moved past that. He said she didn't want you know, back then. Yeah. It's like Mike Jones said back then. Hose didn't want me. Now I'm hot. They're all on me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He set his sights higher, I guess. Yeah, but that when that text message arrives, though. He's going to oh, have yeah. a change of heart. Yeah, oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. At 729 to 811 select styles excludes in-store clearance all right well now that we spent an hour talking about good teams we unfortunately have to turn our attention to the other two teams in the division let's start with the brooklyn nets uh i think one of the big stories for them is d'angelo russell he's entering what's likely to be a contract year unless he reaches an extension by mid-october which doesn't seem like it's going to happen if only because the nets want to keep as much salary cap space as possible for next summer and he doesn't Jared, yeah, with that too. So, what do you expect coming out of D'Angelo this year? Do you think he's going to prove that he's kind of this long-term piece they can build around, or something south of that? I think something south, probably. I'm. Uh, I, I mean, there was an article that came out in the New York Post yesterday that says the new D'Angelo Russell wants to be told when he screws up. That's not. That is not a good look. That is not. That does not make me optimistic whatsoever. Um, you know, I, I know. A, I know a lot of people that are friends with D'Angelo, and they all really like him. He's a very. He's a very nice, soft-spoken guy. But that's only half of it. It's like you got to be. You got to be a worker that's committed to getting better. You got to keep yourself in good shape, and he's just struggled with all those things. You know, since he got into the league. Um, you know, Atkinson thinks that he's a smart player, 
in that he's going to understand how to be a vocal leader and things like that. But that's a pretty big adjustment, I think, from where he's been so far in his career. And he's someone that he's got good ball skills, is a good spot-up shooter, hasn't become the shooter off the bounce that I think we all thought he was going to be and why he was drafted number two. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, at, at, at his size, cause he's, he's, what, like 6'5 now probably? Yeah. You know, he's a big-ass yeah. point guard. He's a big dude for that position. And he doesn't have to be a really good, uh, you know, a good, like, dribble penetrator that can run pick and roll and drive and kick and stuff like that. He needs to be just kind of a basic, you know, have basic capability in those areas. And because of the system that Atkinson's putting into place, which is, you know, pretty similar to a lot of the other kind of modern systems out there that are mostly five out, mostly you know, run a lot of DHO, try to get more side to side movement. Um, you know, I think he's a good fit for what they're doing there. But I, I think Dinwiddie was better last year. And Dinwiddie, I think, is a better leader for the team. Lavert, who I guess is probably going to stay at the wing, um, is is probably their best prospect on the team. I think he's he probably has the most potential to be a core part of their package. Although I guess you could make that argument for Jared Allen also. But you know, Russell, you know, they they have a lot of potential to really establish your program so that next year they can hit the ground running. And if Russell isn't contributing to that, I feel like they're going to pull the plug on him and they're going to just they're going to relegate him to the bench and try to trade him or something like that because he's had he he had a, a full year last year to acclimate. Now they're hoping that with another offseason he can really do it and he can stay healthy. The skill set I think is still pretty clearly there. Um, you know, it's it's not like he's been like a failure from a skill set uh, skill set perspective. He just hides in games, doesn't show up on defense a lot of the time, and is just pretty inconsistent offensively. So, you know, this year is very unpredictable. There's no way he's getting an extension, like absolutely not. Um, and I wonder if he turns into an Emmanuel Moutier type of player if it doesn't work mm-hmm. out for him the first half of the year where he kind of gets relegated out of the rotation and starts bouncing around because their careers have been really similar up to this point. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting point. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm always going to have a soft spot for him because the whole Jaleel Okafor thing, and, you know, I, I think if those two guys had switched spots, I think both of their careers would be at least somewhat different. Uh, the trajectory at least would have been somewhat different. I think they both just ended up in bad spots for them as rookies. But as you said, he is not, he hasn't taken off as expected. Um, and yeah, I mean, they do have, as you said, Dinwiddie was really good for them last year. You know, he, uh, he was what, like third and most improved player voting. Uh, they do have some other young prospects and, you know, more <laughs> last year, you pegged them as a playoff team. Uh, I did. Injuries got in the way of that. This year, Vegas has them as a 32-win team. Where do you see them ending up with, you know, they've got that young group of prospects, and they still have some vets, too. They added Jared Dudley this summer, so... Kenneth Reed. Yeah, Kenneth Reed. Are you you back on the Nets playoff bandwagon, or do you think... Shabazz Napier? I mean, look, I like the roster. I like the... (laughs) Do it again! I don't. I don't know if I am. I, no, I don't. I don't necessarily think that I am. I will say, you know, it, the odds are more open now that Lord Market is going to miss two months. That's true. Uh, I mean, but but yeah, looking at that net squad, I just I just like the way that they fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I, I I I've said this for so long, and I still think it's relevant. Them not having you know their draft picks 
so they couldn't tank. Right. I think it really benefited them in the long run. Like, they have installed a culture where they're trying to win. It hasn't led to that, but it hasn't been like this losing culture where you just go from a manager standpoint where you go, oh, you know what? We need to lose like the next 25 games because we need a better pick. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always been about getting the W, which, you know, for the young guys is, is pretty essential. Uh, I agree completely with Jared on, on you know, the D'Angelo thing. Like, he has been inconsistent. He, he has been a no-show. But, again, I mean, the talent is there. It's all about the effort. It's all about committing to the team. It's all about, you know, getting on board, buying buying into the whole stuff. Karis LeVert, like, Brian, I sent you a, a, an article or, yeah. no, a tweet with, with a snippet of an article the other mm-hmm. day as well where he's apparently turning a lot of heads in, in, in training camp right now. And, you know, he might end up being what D'Angelo Russell should have been, which is really interesting to look at. And, and for them, just to have another asset who could be a potential down-the-line star, maybe. Mm-hmm. We didn't see that coming. For years, we've been sitting there going, oh, they, they really need a talent infusion. If some of their young guys can step up to the plate and prove, hey, you know what, we're right here. We just needed time to develop. That's a major positive. So I don't know if I'm on the play, playoff wagon per se, mm-hmm. but I am on the they're going to be drastically improved wagon. And I think with Kenny Atkinson there, still I think now he's had a year to really mold him, and and it's going to be him going into what his what is it his second or third year? I don't even. Uh, third? I don't remember. I think. It, I mean, definitely. Third? Is... I think it's his third. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a feeling that they're just going to be at that place now where they've had him for two years, mm-hmm. they've had some stability, they have the talent, it's just a matter of putting it all together. That's Playoffs, fair. maybe not, but they're going to be entertaining, they're going to be scrappy as hell, mm-hmm. they're going to be young, and as you mentioned, like they have some veterans that can actually you know, take these young kids aside and go, hey, you know what, move over there, it's going to be an easier shot. Like Jared <laughs> Dudley, I think we're going to read a lot of articles about it. Yeah. In terms of his leadership, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they're gonna be like the middle of the process Sixers, but with actual NBA talent. Like they fight hard, they play hard every night. They're gonna lose. Like they're not. I don't think they're gonna be a five hundred win team or a, you know a five hundred team. But I or think a five hundred win a, team. A, yeah, yeah, either, either or. <laughs> yeah. Probably not a five hundred win team in the next <laughs> decade. Uh, but you know, they're gonna be like an annoying team to play every night. They're gonna play hard. They're not going to be an easy out. You're going to actually have to scout for them. Um, but that's, that's been the case for the last two years as well to some extent, though, which is right. which was why I made them playoff team last year in my head. <laughs> not in your head because, on this podcast. Well, that's still in my head, Brian. <laughs> but, st- I mean, look, nobody liked playing them. Yeah. They played hard. Yeah. Well, they remind yeah. me They remind me of the Celtics uh, in Brad Stevens' second year where they're kind of like – right now they're stacked with – very average rotation players or below average rotation players even. I mean, they've got like, I want to say seven guys that have been useful rotation players at one point in their career, even if they're a little right. bit past it at this point. And then a bunch of solid guys. And like, have we even mentioned Joe Harris at this point? Joe Harris was good last year. Oh yeah. He yeah. had a good year and got rewarded for it. Um, RHJ, I, I'm just mm-hmm. going to assume he's not going to be a, Offensive player, unoffensive player at all for most of his career, yeah. but is a super versatile defender that allows him to play small a lot of the time. Alan Crabb, you know, is going to 
He's going to bring shooting. He's going to bring you know a decent amount of value there. So it's like they have enough guys that they can win. They could win thirty plus games. I don't think that's a concern for them. Um, mm-hmm. I think the question is whether the guys that need to be a core part of their future actually start to improve. I mean, Levert is a six foot right. six point guard who showed a lot last year, um, and the numbers are starting to show it. I mean, he averaged twelve points a game and what was it four assists a game and only about 25 yeah. 26 minutes so and he's not even shooting well yet so if he starts to kind of become a little bit of a reliable player from deep i mean he could be he could be one of like the key franchise guys there and that's something that the Celtics were able to do in that second season under St- under Stevens was identify and develop franchise you know guys that could actually start to be a part of their rotation. And you know, Avery Bradley really grew as a player in that year and became a really vital part of their team once they started competing. So I think that could be what the season does for Brooklyn. And then it syncs up perfectly for them having all the cap space next year. And then they can actually have a team that can compete to, uh, in another year from now. So I'm excited. I'm excited for their future, even if I'm not for mm. the season. Yeah. And that leads into the, the big question for them is, you know, next summer, they can feasibly carve out two max contract spots. You have rumors that, you know, uh, some of these big name guys, potentially Jimmy and Kyrie, especially want to allegedly team up. It seems like they may want to play in New York, whether it's New York with the Knicks or with the Nets. So Jared, do you think they, the Nets could become like a legitimate superstar free agent destination next summer? I think they should be. Um, you know, Jimmy seems like the kind of guy that would want that. I think mm-hmm. Jimmy, I think his list of teams that he's been interested in have made it pretty clear what his priorities are <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah. I mean, he wants, like, he he included the Knicks on his list where nobody has included the Knicks yet because everyone knows that the <laughs> Knicks are completely stuck. Like, the, right. Knicks, the Knicks have four bad contracts hogging up their payroll. They're, they're, it is almost impossible for them to climb out of the hole that they're in, so... And with a play, and with a superstar player who we don't know if he's going to play this year, so we'll get to that in a minute. But mm-hmm. you know, Jimmy seems very feasible for them because of what his priorities are. I think, you know, um, I'll just say it with hell. So I talked to three people that have interacted pretty frequently with Jimmy Butler over the last couple of weeks, and the word that they all used to describe him was that he's a dick. So, <laughs> um. Yeah. You know, that, that that's, I don't know if Jimmy Butler's someone that, like, for instance, and obviously it, it's not going to be the case based on what's happened so far, but like with the Lakers, I don't know if the Lakers mm-hmm. would really want Jimmy Butler because even though he's a, a, maybe a top 10 player in the NBA, he is really difficult to build a team with when you have another player that's competing for dominance in the locker room. Um, mm-hmm. You could say the same thing about LeBron, though, I guess, right? But LeBron, I think actually is worth that aggravation while Jimmy as good as he is right. obviously hasn't come close to accomplishing that yeah right. yeah <laughs> hearing sources say that Jimmy is a dick does not surprise me because it, it just you know him clashing with two separate sets of young teammates now like you have to start to wonder if it's not the locker rooms it's the person that's had problems with both um, but that's a good way to say get to the Knicks now since they're another team on his list, and I feel like really they're another team that doesn't really give a damn about this season as much as they're looking ahead kind of to 2019 when they too can carve out a bunch of cap space. Um, 
That said, the, the you know the story for them is Kristaps Porzingis. I don't think they're going to give him an extension just because it makes more sense financially for them not to until next summer. They'll keep his cheaper cap hold on the books. The question with him is obviously he's coming off the ACL tear. It's still uncertain whether he's going to play the season at all. More given where the Knicks are right now, you know, it seems like until he comes back, they're going to be one of the worst teams in the NBA. At the point he comes back, unless he surprises everyone and comes back early, they're going to be out right. of the playoff race. With that in mind, would you hold Kristaps out this entire year and just say, like, there's no point? You, you know, we're not going to compete for the playoffs this year. Why risk you having a setback and missing part of the 2019-2020 season, which is when we actually hope to compete? Or do you just say, when he's healthy, let him play? I think it's important that he gets a few games in. I mean, we saw partly... You know that was a that was a while ago with Derrick Rose back with his ACL like he was kept out the whole year and there were rumblings that if he had returned in March and just played like the final 15 20 games he he would have gotten his body a little bit straighter and not necessarily aggravated like his his knee or that was the the other knee uh, the year after because he just yeah like he, he would have gotten acclimated to the run. But then again, in, in today's NBA, you know, you'll have so many smart guys on that roster, uh, or, or sorry, on the payroll in terms of doctors and trainers who understand you know, perfectly where that guy is at. So I think it comes down to what the training staff and the medical staff you know, say. If it turns out that they feel that rest is just better mm-hmm. and sitting him out is the smarter decision, go for it. If they feel he needs to get some reps in just to be more ready for the following year then that's the decision i i can't really comment on that in that sense i don't know uh i will say this though from a from a draft pick perspective it would be clever because i don't think the knicks should ever make free agent decision uh it, i mean joe Noah is the perfect example like don't mm-hmm. don't play the free agency game if you're, you're the new york knicks like force yourself to go young mm-hmm. get some some assets in the draft instead because like the Knicks seem to perpetually be in this circle of, hey, let's uh, let's clear cap space after we've uh, gotten this bad deal that we signed four years ago off the, the <laughs> right. you know, off the books, so we can sign another bad deal and just it perpetuates. So, at some point, you just need to look inwards and go, you know, maybe we should play the draft. Maybe mm-hmm. we should go that route instead. But no, it's it's all about cap space for him every single time. So, from that perspective. Yeah, keeping it out and going for you know a top three pick if possible, that would certainly benefit them a lot better. Yeah, and then piggybacking on that, you know, if they are going for draft picks, Jared, that means there's no point in keeping Courtney Lee around, right? Like he he should be on the move at some point between now and February. Yeah, I think he I think he's earned it at this point, right? <laughs> he's earned his escape card <laughs> from New York. <laughs> he sure as hell asked so. for it, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been the consistent guy this entire time during this second phase, and, you know, he's he hasn't really complained much. I think he, Courtney doesn't usually get enough credit for how steady of a presence he is in the locker room and how relatively consistent of a player he is. You know, he has a pretty limited game, and he, you know, focuses on it, and he really makes the most of it. Um, it he, he should be on a playoff team, and he's mm-hmm. getting towards the end of his career. I mean, he's... He must be, what, 31 now? So end of his career might be a little strong, but he's, like, at the end of his prime, and he still can be a pretty good uh, contributor to a team. Oh, he's 32 now, actually. He just turned – I know he turns 33 yeah. in a couple days, so happy birthday to yeah. him. I'll have to send him a happy birthday text. But so, 
Um, <laughs> he, you know, he, he averaged 12 points a game last year. He, mm. you know, he was a valuable contributor to that team last year. But having mm. a guy that is a good on-ball defender and a solid spot-up shooter and a shooter off the curl doesn't really do much for a team that, at this point, is just trying to find guys to develop and turn into players. And I don't really right. see any value in having him around for that team necessarily. So if they can get anything that can work towards a future asset for him, I say they might as well do it as soon as they can, really. And I think there's going to be teams at some point this season that are going to be wanting to bring him in. Yeah, I would think so, too. I mean, he he has that 3 and D skill set that every contender can and should want. It's the question of, because he has two years left on his deal, then it becomes like, well, you know, like he would be a perfect fit in it for a team like Philly, but does a team like Philly want to use $12 million or whatever of its cap space next summer on him? You know, that I'm less certain about. But that said, there are plenty of teams that, you know, plenty of contenders that don't have cap space for next summer that I'm sure will be trying if they aren't already trying to get him in. I, you know, I think the value he provides is more of a locker room presence probably at, at this point than for a Knicks team that is going to be bad. Like, they're, as you said, you know, they, they're just trying to figure out which of their young guys are rotation members for the future uh more one guy who we know is is going to be kevin knox who they spent the number nine pick on he you know looked like a stud in summer league you know let's let's end the pod on a high note for knicks fans because we just spent the last five minutes crapping on them kevin knox what do you expect out of him this year do you think big things are happening especially until or if Kristaps comes back you mean 35 percent from the field in summer league kevin knox he looked good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I was just I was just giving yeah. Knicks fans a final hard time because right. yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, they didn't earn that. They're suffering enough. Look, I'm I'm going to be really patient with Kevin Knox. I really am. He's he's raw. Um, he's got some talent. He's going to have some of those games where he just unleashes everything and he looks like something that's going to be really special. And it might turn out to be very special, but. He's so young. I, I I would just be satisfied with seeing him getting rotation minutes. It, you know, he should really get development minutes and, and a lot of them. And if he struggles, then so be it. It doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I, I I just don't want expectation to actually be put on him in the first place because we've seen what Knicks fans can do with that once That's in a while. Funny. They 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 look at a draft pick and they go oh. We're clinging to this guy for for our sanity's sake, and and that's just not unfair. That's just unfair to Kevin, honestly. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm definitely expecting a few games where he shows us everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think if if nothing else, you have that to look forward to, Knicks fans. And then you got the summer of 2019 when, as Mort said, you'll probably miss out on all your superstar free agents and then overpay like. Marcus Come on Saul. down, Wilson Chandler. Hey, there you go. I was, I was at least going to be nice to say, like, Marcus All, but sure. Wilson Chandler, four-year max deal. Sounds reasonable, too. That's a good place for us to wrap up, guys. Jared, thank you again for joining us today. Remind our listeners one more time where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. You can find me, Jared Weiss, MBA, on Twitter and the Instagrams, and then The Athletic for all my Celtics and NBA writing. Beautiful, yeah. Give him a follow. Go subscribe to The Athletic. It's a million good NBA writers and however, three or six bucks a month. It's well worth it. 
In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we're being hosted on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter at Almighty Casts. Until next time, I'm Brian Tepork, and I was joined by Morton Jensen and Jared Weiss. Have a good one, guys. You too, Brian. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance.